I'm Kevin Richard. Well, you don't need me to tell you that the election is coming up on Tuesday. I mean, I hope you don't need me to tell you that the election is coming up on Tuesday. We've been writing a lot about it. We've been talking a lot about it here on the podcast. And to kind of set the stage here as we head into the home stretch, I sat down this week with Boise State political science professor Stephanie Witt and Sadie Dittenberg, a reporter here at Idaho Ed News who's been focused on the state superintendent's race. We break down what we've seen so far in this election and what we're looking for here in the next few days. Here's our conversation. Well, Stephanie and Sadie, thank you for taking the time to talk about the election as we head into the home stretch. So, Stephanie, I'm going to start with you. Um, we're less than a week out from the election. What has stood out to you about this campaign? Are there trends? Are there surprises uh, that really kind of jump out at you? Well, it's been a very quiet campaign, I think. Um, most of the real fights were in the primary, in the Republican primary specifically. Um, we have a third of the legislative seats are not even contested at this point. So I, I would say it's been kind of sleepy uh, in that we haven't seen a ton of activity. We also have been missing the debates, and, and it leads me to wonder if we'll ever return to that time when, when we used to see the major party candidates uh, answering questions that the general public and television viewing audience could could see. So maybe we're in a new era where we're no longer going to have debates. Um, the other thing I would point out is both here in Idaho and nationally, we have a tremendous number of people who have voted by mail or early voting, uh, which in spite of all the furor around election security still seems to be immensely popular with people in Idaho and elsewhere. No, and you know, true confession, I voted early last week because our office is two blocks from City Hall. It's, you know, it's easy and, you know, there was very little uh, wait. I think there was uh, maybe one person ahead of me. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's become sort of the standard you know, expectation of voters is that you're going to have options about how to exercise your right to vote. Mhm. Mm Looks like about 17% of uh, voters have asked for early voting. Uh, they haven't all turned in their ballots, but uh, that's a significant portion of the electorate. So the one election among many that we're following closely here is the state superintendent's race. And, and Sadie, you've been our lead reporter on this race. So give listeners sort of the overview right now of how this race has unfolded. Yeah, so the Republican candidate, Debbie Critchfield, um, and the Democratic candidate, Terry Gilbert, have clashed over a couple of things, um, mainly the school choice and vouchers um, in the KTVB and the Idaho Public Television debates last week. Um, so it, mostly it was Gilbert attacking Critchfield over her support of the GOP platform. Um, and she did in the KTVB debates come out and say that she doesn't support vouchers. She doesn't want to quote voucherize the system. Um, but there's still a bit of confusion over her real stance and she does support more school choice throughout the state. Um, she mentioned the empowering parents grants, the advanced opportunities program as ways to kind of boost the school choice throughout the state. Um, and Gilbert is very staunchly against vouchers, against any program that would divert funds from public schools. 
Um, so that's really one of their main clashing points. Um, another point of contention between the two is their backgrounds. Um, Gilbert yeah. has experience in the classroom um, as a teacher, and Critchfield has substitute taught and was on the school board for the Casha School District on the state board. Um, so she doesn't have that direct classroom experience, and that has been another um, kind of divisive point between the two. Um, but other than that, it's been pretty civil between the two of them. They did participate in the debates, um, one of few races to do so. Um, so, yeah. And, and it feels like, to Stephanie's point earlier about what's the future of debates, this feels like a race where the debate really did bring some value and, and some context to this campaign. I mean, you watched both of those debates closely. I, I was one of the panelists on, on the public TV debate. And I was struck. I was a little bit surprised. I knew the two candidates disagreed about school choice. I knew that we were going to uh, ask a lot of questions about school choice to try to tease out the differences between the two. But I was surprised by how uh, by how forceful uh, Gilbert has been on that on, ish, on that issue during both of those debates. Yes, I was surprised as well. Um, I didn't expect it to be as I guess antagonistic um, as it seemed to be during the debate. But yeah. Is it, Stephanie, a winning issue potentially uh, for a Democrat swimming upstream in a Republican state? I mean, school choice has popularity, but the idea of vouchers doesn't have very much popularity, especially I know Statesman ran a survey, uh, published results of a survey this week that showed uh, a lot of voter skepticism about a voucher system. Is this... uh, is this a wedge issue that could work in Democrats' favor? It could. Uh, historically, the superintendent of public instruction race is where we see the highest number of Democratic votes, right? So uh, that's where we've seen them come the closest to winning. Uh, the last Democrat to be elected to statewide office was Marilyn Howard, and mm-hmm. I think her term was over in 2005. Yeah, 2006. Uh, so. so the last statewide candidate to win a Democrat was Howard in 2002. So, But some of the uh, races for superintendent have been really close. Uh, and that uh, Cindy Wilson probably had came the closest in the uh, last time mm-hmm. that we yeah. voted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I do think this could be a wedge issue. I think it's lucky for uh, Terry Gilbert that he that she agreed to do the debate because, to be frank, the debate is free access to voters and a lot of the Democratic candidates don't have as much money or um, have as many chances to get name recognition. So uh, for the knowledgeable public, I think this gave him a chance to make his case about the distinction between um, him and Crutchfield, although I I, I agree with what we just talked about a minute ago with Sadie that it, her stance on this is actually a little nuanced, I think, but um, he's painting her to be pro-voucher, and that might work in his advantage, but I would be absolutely shocked if he won. Yeah. And Sadie, you've spent some time with these candidates, not just watching them in, in the debates, but you've spent some time on the ground with the candidates uh, in the field. Uh Paint that picture for us a little bit about what you've seen with these two candidates as they as they go out and mingle with potential voters, potential supporters. 
Yeah, so it, it it was a different experience, I would say, between both candidates. So with Mr. Gilbert, I joined him at a um, house party, a campaign party that he held in Boise at somebody's house. And there he kind of gave a o- general overview of his campaign. He talked about, you know, anti-voucher. Um, he talked about uh, learning loss, teacher pay, all of those things. And what he did was he really spoke to the people who attended the house party, and many of them were former teachers or current teachers. Um, the West Ada Education Association president was there, um, and he really asked them like for their solutions, um, and he talked to them, and it was more of a small, um, low-key, intimate kind of event. Um, and that's how he painted his campaign to me as well when I spoke with him. Um, and I think that's reflected as well in his in his. Um, Sunshine Report and his campaign donations that he has a larger proportion of small scale donations right. from individuals. Um, with with Critchfield, I joined her for pretty much an entire day. We started at a charter school in Caldwell Elevate Academy and kind of worked our way back to Boise throughout the day. Um, and she is busy. <laughs> um, her schedule is stacked. She has visited a ton of schools across the state since the beginning of her campaign. Um, she's done a bunch of events. And from what she told me, she really has been visiting schools to talk to administrators, teachers, and students to get their perspective on um just what's going on inside of the schools and also to get um the a a more close perspective of the innovation that's going on in schools and she i think she really wants to emphasize that innovation and share what's going on in schools throughout the state um, and share those ideas between districts between charters between private schools so that all of them can benefit from those ideas um, and yeah so we we visited the charter school we visited the boise dtech building and saw met with some teachers who were going through um, uh, professional development that day. And then we attended a uh, Republican women's luncheon at, in Nampa. And, and it seems like when we talked about this before, that at that luncheon, the Republican women's luncheon, she ran into some skepticism from members of her own party. Yes, she did. It was a pretty contentious meeting there at the end. Um, there was a lot of conversation about critical race theory, indoctrination, common core, um, and she she really tried to bring nuance into the conversation, I would say, um, and she she spoke to the differences, differences between standards and curriculum. She spoke to d- districts' own policies about how to review curriculum, review books, um, and all of that, but she was met with just kind of blatant disbelief in what she was talking about. Um, And so I think her and her campaign members who were there, they were kind of taken aback by the, (laughs) I guess the disbelief, the the kind of rejection of the truth. Um, And so I think that 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 was really interesting to watch them react to that because from from how they reacted, it seemed that that was one of the most um, contentious meetings that they had been a part of so far. And this, Stephanie, I mean, this is what we're seeing a lot within Republican politics this election cycle and and election cycles previous, uh, where there's a lot of tension within the party. Even in a general election, it's it's not too far from the surface. Yeah, I I think that 
the people who are most likely to have shown up for a Republican women's luncheon are probably among the more passionate members of the party in that county. And so they may not be an accurate cross-section of all GOP voters, but they do represent a an increasingly vocal part of the GOP um, voters. And uh, I, I can imagine this was a difficult event and uh, that you know, you would think once you've won the primary that you would get the support of the base. But, you know, uh, Brandon Durst, her opponent in the primary, along with the incumbent superintendent, um, you know, he came in second. So yeah. the, there yeah. was a, a significant number of there were a significant number of GOP voters in the primary who um, were concerned about the things that he was, including critical race theory and um, and school choice. Let's shift to talk a little bit about the messaging between the two parties heading into the election, Stephanie. Uh, it feels, as I listen to candidates from the two parties, it's like we're almost talking about two alternate realities, at least alternate narratives. I mean, the Republican narrative, no surprise here, focusing on the economy, focusing on the White House, which if you're a Republican running for state office and there's a Democrat in the White House, that's that's the playbook. The, the Democrats really are trying to capitalize maybe on the energy off of the Roe v. Wade ruling, uh, voter energy on that, and, and trying to paint Republicans as extremists on reproductive rights, uh, school choice, school indoctrination, libraries. Which narrative wins, do you think? Well, I think that the GOP narrative is going to win just because that's the, uh, if we're looking at number of registered voters and the track record, um, I sometimes joke that a ham sandwich with an R by its name would get elected. You know, it's uh, that people are committed <laughs> to voting Republican, at least as far as we've seen. Um, now, we know nationally that we've seen a, a rapid increase in the number of women who are registering to vote. Uh, this may make a difference, not necessarily in Idaho races, but it will make a difference in some of those Senate and House races across the country where suburban women who have sometimes voted Republican are maybe more likely to vote Democratic this election because of the um, Dobbs decision and reversal of Roe versus Wade. I don't know. I, I, I would be so surprised if a Democrat won one of the statewide races here. But I think it's interesting to see what is going to be the Democratic percentage of the vote. Mm -hmm. It's often no higher than 33 percent, with the exception of the superintendent race often. Now, if they come in closer at 40, does that mean that we're seeing, is that some of that impact of the post-Dobbs? I, I don't know. It's impossible to know. Unfortunately, we're such a small state, we don't get a lot of good exit polling, so we don't always know what voters were thinking when they were there. And I have to wonder how maybe this plays out, not at the statewide races, because I think the conventional wisdom is pretty much that Republicans are have the inside track in, in the statewide races. But you do have some legislative races that could be competitive in some of these swing districts where, you know, both parties have viable, you know, competitive candidates, uh, you know, in some of these more purple legislative districts. It'll be interesting to see how those play out. 
again, in, in races where Democrats did field candidates. And as you mentioned before, a lot of legislative races are, are uncontested. Well, there, there are, yeah, there were a number. The Democrats kind of gave the, gave it away, gave the majority away, you know, before the primary because the, the a third of the seats are uncontested. Um, but there are, there will be some interesting changes. This is the first electoral cycle after redistricting, so the shape and and content of the districts have changed. Uh, the uh, district that includes Blaine County now includes a portion of some of those more rural counties to the south, and and that may we may see a switch from Democrat to Republican in that district. Um, and I don't have the map up in front of me there. You probably know the number, Kevin. District um, 26 is, is the district thank over you. there. And I think that may be the most interesting legislative race of all, because the, the Senate race is an open race. Uh, Lori Likely, the Republican from, from Jerome, is taking flack from both sides. I mean, the, the pro-choice movement is really hit, hammering her for votes on anti-abortion legislation. Conservative Republicans are hammering her as well, saying, you know, she's she's not, you know, you know, she's going to be a vote for the status quo in the Senate when conservatives want the Senate to shift uh, considerably to the right. So it's, it's a fascinating legislative race. Yeah, I agree. And I think that overall, the, the Senate has been playing the role of kind of tapping the brakes on some of the more extreme ideas that have come out of the House in recent years. And we're going to see a lot of turnover uh, we're going to see um, a lot of incumbents who retired, and so new faces all around, maybe as many as half of the seats. So um, the Senate is likely to be more conservative, and mm -hmm. yeah. we'll see if they uh, take their foot off the brake, and maybe we see some of the uh, policy ideas from the further right wing of the party coming through. And maybe the governor will feel more at ease to veto some of those since he will be, you know, in his second term and um, he may feel a little more freedom to veto. Yeah. Let's shift ahead to Tuesday night. What we'll be watching for Tuesday, Sadie, you're going to be heading up our coverage on the state superintendent's race. Talk a little bit about what you're going to be looking for. Not to jinx you, this was the race we were all waiting on four years ago. We were waiting until I think it was five in the morning before this race was called and not saying that that's uh, that's your fate Tuesday night, but how are you looking to, looking ahead to this race Tuesday night? Yeah, I think I'll just be following the numbers throughout the night, um, waiting for them to call it, um, and then I'm going to contact the winning candidate and try to get them um, at some point um, in the evening. Hopefully, it's not too you know late. It's not <laughs> five in the morning, especially since we're leaving the next day. Right. Um, but yeah, I think um, it'll be important to get those reactions both from the parties and from the candidates themselves um, as as the winner is announced. Which races you're going to be watching most closely, Stephanie? Well, the superintendent of public instruction, because it's among those that tend to be most competitive and the attorney general's race. Mm -hmm. uh, We've seen a number of prominent Republicans come out um, support of uh, Tom Arkush as opposed to Raul Labrador, who is the Republican nominee. So I think that's an interesting one to watch in in particular. Uh, those are the two things. I'm also going to be looking to see 
Um, whether we have any issues with voter intimidation, uh, we've seen yep. nationally uh, a number of places where volunteers are showing up in rather intimidating um, outfit or gear, you know, tactical gear to um, protect the ballot drop boxes. Um, some see that as protecting, some see that as intimidation. I think that's that's a potential issue. Um, and, you know, if the Democratic candidate for governor was a bit stronger, I think the fact that Ammon Bundy is running could have played a spoiler role there. Um, because I think that, that Bundy will draw votes away from Governor Little. Uh, but I think that uh, Mr. Haight has had a, a fairly um, invisible campaign. Yeah. And so I don't really think it's going to make it a close race this time. Right. No, he, he was kind of this unexpected nominee because of a lot of uh, you know, problems with the you know, more established Democratic candidate uh, getting on the ballot. So, yeah. I'll be interested, too, in the Emin Bundy effect. I, I will be interested to see how he polls. Uh, does he get north of 10 percent know, on Tuesday night? I mean, I don't know if that affects the ultimate outcome. I doubt it does uh, from all indications at this point. But where does he come in? And, and what does that say about the state of uh, politics on the right in, in Idaho? So that's a race I'll be watching closely. Uh, I'll be plugging into our coverage, uh, live blogging Tuesday night. AG's race, I'll be watching closely, and some of these legislative races like the ones we, we talked about, and the college trustee races, too. That was what I was just yeah. going to... It looked like you were ready to go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, this, is a, this is the kind of race that most people don't even know it's going to be on the ballot. They don't know anyone's names. It's fascinating to me because of the four people running with the identical information on each of their web pages, which, by the way, is hosted by the Idaho GOP page. Mm -hmm. yeah. they, they talk about being the Republican candidates for a nonpartisan office. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely been one of the most interesting races to watch and, and a sequel in some ways, maybe to what we saw two years ago at North Idaho College, uh, which also has some very heated elections coming up next week. So, yeah, uh, community college trustee races are unexpectedly fascinating uh, <laughs> this time around. Well, and same with library boards um, across the country and school boards that um, school boards usually get more community attention. But um, I think there, there's some questions about the long-term survival of nonpartisan races at the local level. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see how it goes. Right. I mean, a year ago, we saw school board races uh, that are on a municipal ballot, a nonpartisan ballot by design, definitely took on a partisan flavor. And that's not just something we're seeing in Idaho. We're seeing school board elections become a lot more strident and a lot more heated and a lot more pointed. You know, maybe not surprising in light of everything that's happened at the school board level these past couple of years. I feel like we caught up on a lot here, Stephanie and, and Sadie. I appreciate you both taking the time to set the stage for next week's elections. Thank you both. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Stephanie Witt, a political science professor at Boise State University, and Sadie Dittenberg, a staff writer here at Idaho Ed News. A lot of news to catch up on this week at idahoednews.org, and as you might expect, a lot of it is election-related. In my Thursday analysis piece, I take a closer look at what to expect on Tuesday night and about how 
Splits within the Idaho Republican Party are going to go a long way towards determining the numbers and the results that we see next week and how those numbers and results will give us a, a pulse into the state of the Idaho Republican Party. The predominant party in the state, obviously, but a fractured party. I, I take a closer look at all of that in my Thursday piece. I took a closer look earlier this week at the trustee elections at North Idaho College. Three races are on the ballot, just like we had in 2020. And we know what happened last time around with elections at North Idaho College. A lot of turmoil, a lot of turbulence at the college these past couple of years. I preview the NIC elections in a piece that we posted earlier in the week. Devin Bodkin takes a look at ballot measures up next week, including the $250 million bond issue in Idaho Falls. We have a preview of that. Speaking of previews, Sadie has a piece looking at what to expect next week when school trustees from across Idaho meet in Coeur d'Alene. What resolutions are trustees talking about uh, proposing and pushing at the legislature? She has a full rundown of that. Now, Tuesday is Election Day, and to give you a sense of what to look for in our coverage, we're going to have a lot. Uh, Sadie is going to lead our coverage on the state superintendent's race, so she'll be writing about that race all through Tuesday night. Carly Flandreau will write about those ballot measures that I mentioned. And I'll do what I've done in past elections. Uh, I'll do a running blog, a live blog of what's happening. It'll give me a chance to do some instant analysis of what we're seeing around the state, look at some of these uh, statewide races, look at some of the legislative races, look at what's happening in the trustee races at NIC and also at College of Western Idaho. So we'll have a lot of opportunity uh, on the live blog to talk back and forth about what we're seeing and what we're looking for as the night unfolds. We'll have all of that for you at idahoednews.org. I want to wrap up with a farewell to a colleague, Devin Bodkin. His last day here at Idaho Ed News is on Friday. Uh, he's been with us several years. He is uh, leaving us to take a job with INL as a communication specialist at the site. Devin's been a pleasure to work with these past few years and, and has done some really outstanding investigative work for us over the years. Uh, we're going to miss him. We're going to miss his work. We're going to miss his sense of humor. And we'll stay in touch, I'm sure. But uh, just wanted to give him uh, a shout out here at the end of the podcast and wish him the best. I'll be back next week with another edition of the podcast, and it'll be another discussion of the elections. I'm going to put together a panel that kind of helps us explain what we saw on Tuesday, what it all means, and how does it set the stage for the 2023 legislative session and beyond. That'll be my podcast next week. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. We'll tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on breaking items. Yes, we are still on Twitter, by the way. Um, you can follow us on Facebook as well. You can comment on our stories there. And again, come back next week for another edition of the podcast. I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week. Have a good week.